Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic and entrepreneur. And thank you for spending some time with me today. I'm so glad you're here today because there is something that we as a community need to continue talking about more, and that is our mental wellness. Did you guys know that 56% of people with bipolar disorder have a history of drug abuse and 44% struggle with alcohol issues? And I am raising my hand right now as someone who struggles with mental wellness and keeping myself on track and making it a priority. And I'm curious if you are too. And here's the truth. If you don't manage your mental health well, addiction and recovery can be very lonely you get decision fatigue. You can get really burnt out. You know, I did a whole episode about recovery burnout. There are tons of external pressures and like being drowned in this culture of drinking. You know, that stuff is in our faces all the time. And if we're not managing our own wellness, all of that stuff can start to take over and feel much bigger than it is. And because I believe in my core, that recovery can be one of the best gifts you ever give yourself. I want to bring more awareness to these issues that run rampant in our society and definitely in the world of substance abuse and recovery. Luckily, there are people out there who also take this seriously and who are willing to show up and be brave and help us all out. And one of those people is Bailey Raber. Bailey is also a podcast host. Her podcast is called Distressed to Joyful, Bailey's Way. She is sober. She is fabulous. She had a very miserable life. You're going to hear her talk about all this stuff. That's why I'm stumbling over my words a little bit. But she has, She says she went from a miserable life to a beautiful life. And the journey of doing that is incredible. Like you guys all know, it's what we're all doing every single day. So I'm super excited to have this conversation. Bailey, thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. It's so good to have you here. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Why don't we start? Just take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a lot of things, <laughs> like Angela was listing out, but I actually got diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder back when I was 16, and that kind of sent my life into a very downward spiral, very very quickly, downward spiral, excuse me. And I just got to a point where I hit rock bottom. And I hit rock bottom when I was 24. And that to me is a bit young to be hitting rock bottom so hard. And I kind of woke up one day and decided I needed to do something different. I needed things to change. I can't do this anymore. I can't keep living this way. It's not working. So I got with my therapist and I got really serious with her and I told her, whatever homework you give me, I will actually do. <laughs> and I, yeah, because previously I wasn't. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking but, you said that and I was like, oh, I dream of that with my clients. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Yeah. So I kind of got to that point and I was like, I'm willing to do whatever it will take to go to a different place than where I am now. And so I started working with her very closely. I finally gave up alcohol for the first time in almost a decade. And I really started focusing on what do I need to do to better manage both my bipolar disorder and my mental and my mental health overall in order to be in a better place mentally. So from there, things started to change. They started to look up. Everything became so much better and brighter. And that is the super, super spark notes version of that. (laughs) (laughs) And in 2020, I decided that I was going to go ahead and start a podcast. I actually started this before the pandemic hit and it became an extra source of therapy for me. I started sitting down and getting really vulnerable with all the things that I went through because I went through some horrible things and I don't want anyone else to have to go through them. So my whole point of the podcast is to talk about my struggles with bipolar disorder, with alcohol, with sex addiction, with all of the things that put me in that miserable place and also tell people how I got myself out. Because the thing that I think a lot of people don't truly understand is that you are the only person who can save you and you can't do it alone. You need advice, you need help, you need resources, you need things from other people, but you have to be willing to put in the work. And so all of that is to say that I am now in such a better place than I've, the best place I've ever been in my life, to be honest. And I got myself there, but I got myself there with books, with podcasts, with my therapist, with a support system of my friends, with healthy eating, with all kinds of things. And I am just thrilled and I'm happy and I'm excited and I'm excited to get to share that with you guys today too on how I was able to start making this journey the one I wanted to be on. Oh, I so love that. I so love that. Now, you said bipolar 2. So, I want to start there what because I'm sure the majority of listeners don't know there's more than one. But <laughs> can you break down for us to the best of your knowledge what is the difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2? Absolutely. So bipolar two is what I have. And that's, uh, that is focused more on, well, not focused, but it kind of targets more of behaviors and impulses, but not too extreme. So uh, there's the whole term of bipolar disorder is that it's bi, which is two, and then polar or poles, which is like, you know, the North and South pole. So if you think of it, like the North pole is the highs and that's when you're feeling really good. And then the South pole is the lows when you're not feeling good, when you're depressed and all of that. And then the equator is like the middle when you're feeling balanced. And those of us with bipolar two, we go high and we go low, but we don't really ever hit those poles like bipolar one does. Bipolar one tends to be a lot more extreme. And a lot of times they'll end up hospitalized because of the episodes. Mm -hmm. They kind of, they kind of, don't quote me on this, but mimic um, schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And I do know people who have both bipolar one and schizophrenia. So I think they do sometimes go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But those those types, they tend to have more um, 
illusions and see things that aren't there, mm-hmm. paranoia. It's just a lot more extreme. Right. Either way, it's extreme, <laughs> but th- there's levels to extremeness that I've learned. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, and those are, and this is why I wanted to talk about, those are really important distinctions too for somebody who's listening to this and thinking about themselves in the position that they're in and their own stuff, right? Like there are some distinctions there and it is delusions. It's auditory, you know, hearing things, seeing things, voices. It can be all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, it's, it's more extreme for sure. So for you, and the other reason I wanted to talk about this too, because it is so prevalent with addiction, you know, it's not uncommon if you have one, you can have the other, you know, and that's why I read those stats at the top of the conversation because that's powerful. I mean, 56%, that's huge. So this is something to be mindful of and have some personal awareness of what your behavior is and how you're feeling and should you talk to someone and all of those things because ultimately we have to work on all these things to get better. You know, it is, it's a big picture to, to recover and get better and have the life that you're loving now. What was your biggest struggle because you talked about anger too. And before we started recording, you were talking about anger was kind of your go-to response in life. (laughs) Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things with bipolar disorder is when I say extremes, we tend to also feel emotions on a higher level. And that runs for both. And so for both one and two, as far as I'm aware. And so when someone next to me who doesn't have bipolar disorder, when they get mad, they're going to get mad and you're going to know that they're mad, but it's just, it's not the same as when I get mad. And Unfortunately, I have behaved in ways in the past that I'm not proud of, but it is what it is, where sometimes I get so mad, I can't contain it within myself because that mad is so big and so escalated from the bipolar disorder that I will throw something or break something or like I'll punch the couch or and all of these behaviors that when you look at me, you wouldn't expect that. Like I'm this five foot three, you know, girl and you don't expect me to be throwing a fit and breaking things <laughs> and, <laughs> and growing up in Texas where women are supposed to be polite and quiet and not make a scene that became a huge issue because I'm a little girl over here even when I was young these anger problems were there where I would scream or break something or I just can't contain it I just can't contain it and so That has led me to so many issues down the road that I had to learn how to better cope with this because it's not going to go away. You're always going to get mad at some point. But I was choosing to get mad instead of getting sad or instead of actually feeling what the real emotion was underneath that. Because if you think about it, Anger is a lot easier to feel than to feel sad because your friend betrayed you or to feel sad because you went on a date and you got stood up. It's a lot easier to feel mad and then react to things out of anger instead of to actually sit in what you're really feeling. You talked about getting diagnosed at 16. What was going on for you at 16? Like, obviously this would have to be something parental, right? Your parents are going, okay, we need to get her to talk to somebody. Like what was happening behaviorally or happening in your life that it was known that you needed to seek a higher level of help? 
So my story is actually very interesting and very unique, I think, because my parents actually weren't the ones to initiate this. I was. So I, you know, to make a long story short, uh, my mom remarried when I was about three years old. And the man that she remarried adopted me and my younger sister and legally became our, our father. And she never told us. And so we ended up finding out later on in life, right before we became teenagers, and then, again, long story short, my biological dad found me on Facebook when Facebook first came out, you know, 12, 14, 15 years ago. We were in communication. We weren't supposed to be. But I had found out from his sister, my aunt, that at one point he had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so I always knew I was different. I knew I didn't I didn't handle my emotions and my reactions the way that everybody else did. I knew that. So I started thinking, okay, he has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I Googled it and I looked it up. I'm like, okay, well, it's hereditary. Maybe that's something I have. Maybe that's what my problem is. So my thoughts were, okay, let's go get this problem fixed. Like, I don't want to have to keep living like this. Like, if I can get some help, let's get some help. And my mom wasn't as on board with it as I was. So she did end up taking me, but she was more concerned about what other people would think versus getting me the help that I needed. And again, that's another reason why I started my podcast, because had we done this sooner, had I had more support at home, things could have been better for me. But because I didn't have support with this within my family, they were just sending me to do what I needed to do. Didn't really want to talk about it. Didn't want to know what was going on. Didn't want other people to know. It really isolated me. And it put me in this little box in this almost like a closet, which might be why I, you know, I, <laughs> I have so many friends of the LGBTQ community. And I think I can really relate to them of being shut away and not being able to be who I am in public because other people are uncomfortable with that. And so that, that was a whole thing itself. And I'm glad I got to a point where I decided, you know, I don't care anymore. I'm going to tell the whole world over on the internet and that'll be it. And I'm done and I'm free. I'm free that way. And yeah, so... <laughs> And how did your parents respond? Like, how did your mom respond to you doing the podcast and being so open and out about everything? So unfortunately, she did not really respond at all. And it kind of went to a place where I don't have a relationship with either of my parents anymore. And it's one of those things that's, it's really sad, but it's actually not very uncommon these days with people my age who were born in the 90s. Sorry to anybody listening if that makes you feel old. but <laughs> Only me. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I endured a lot of trauma while growing up. And that's exactly what it was. It was trauma. But I have gotten to a place where I can understand that my parents were doing the best that they could at, with the tools that they had at the time. And it's not necessarily their fault, but I am allowed to have my own feelings about what occurred and I'm allowed to not be okay with things. So because my parents can't understand where I'm coming from and they choose not to, I've had to do the hard thing and set 
boundaries to where, okay, if you can't be supportive in my life the way I need you to be, then I can't have you in my life. And I've talked about it on my podcast and I've talked a lot about it. And I usually get really emotional when I bring it up because it's, it's sad and it sucks because I have always looked up to them as they were there for me. They're doing the best that they can for me. But when I look back, I'm like, but they really weren't Mm -hmm. because with the whole psychiatry thing, I could have had a lot more help. I could have had a lot more support and they, they chose not to in for whatever reason. And I'll never know. I'm not sure if I will ever have a relationship with them again, but I also kind of use that as a piece of like advice to those who do have children to like learn from the mistakes of my parents. Don't push your kids so far away and put them somewhere else to where you can't repair that relationship. Like, Children need support. They need guidance. If you can't give that to them, find somebody who can. Find a neighbor. Find a friend from church. Find your closest relative who can talk to them and who can listen and try to understand them. Because just because you don't understand them doesn't mean they're wrong. Right. I would say this is one of the biggest challenges with being a very public person about your challenges. You know, because it is a matter of perspective. It's not that anybody is necessarily wrong or lying, but listen, I can tell you my perspective on my childhood and how that went down and how I felt about it. And I guarantee you the other people involved, if they told their story, they would be very different stories. And again, it doesn't mean that anybody is lying. It means that how I took in information and perceived information and responded to events in my life were different than how they would take it in and process it and respond to it. But as a public person, because I know I go through this a lot with my family too, you know, that it's hard to be really vulnerable and speak really openly about things and candidly about how you feel about it when you know there can be some major repercussions of that, right? And you don't want to be hurtful to your family members. You don't want to say hurtful things about this person did this or said this and this happened. And I know too, it's so hard for parents because parents always think everything is their fault. And it's so many things, you know, in some ways, I guess some stuff is their fault, you know, (laughs) but, but not like they did it to us intentionally, you know, and it's like, everybody's so consumed in blaming and it has to be somebody's fault. And I'm like, you know, you can't raise kids without messing them up. It's impossible, especially if you have multiple kids, because we all take in and process and respond to things differently. So one event in life could be great for a couple of your kids and not great for a couple of other ones, you know? So there's, there's no way to do it perfectly, but everybody plays a role and it's hard to juggle all of those feelings when you are trying to share your journey and your triumphs in, in how proud you are about the life you've created. And then you have people on the other side of it who are just waiting to be pissed off about it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I am also, like you said, that it's perspective and I never want to hurt anybody. And Unfortunately, they did do some things that I didn't agree with or ways of handling me with my 
bipolar disorder in ways that I think that they could have done better. So I have actually been really, really diligent with making sure that when I do tell these parts of my story, that I'm very... I'm very, very careful to make sure that I try to word my perspective in a way that lets people know I'm not blaming them. They did do this. This was the outcome. And I'm not mad anymore. But I'm also trying to help you guys understand that if you choose to do things to your kids the way that my parents did, this might be your outcome. This might be what occurs. And I really hope that it's going to help resolve some of the things and help to break these cycles. Because family trauma, that's a cycle. And somebody has to break it. And unfortunately, because I'm the one in my family that's breaking it, I'm also looked at as the person who's doing wrong a lot. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not fitting in. I'm not just keeping quiet. I'm not brushing everything under the rug like everybody else is, I'm deciding to do better and to help others along the way. And if they don't agree with it, then that's their perspective, just like my perspective. So you're right. It is a matter usually of perspective. And that does sometimes make things a little difficult, sometimes a little bit messy. But you've I have weighed out the pros and the cons, and I would rather create a little bit of chaos, like we had talked about earlier, along the way in order to help more people than to just sit back and not do anything and let others continue to suffer, even though I could do something. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you touched on also that being more concerned with what other people would think about what was going on within the family. And this is literally one of my biggest hurdles in life in that really pushes my buttons, right? Because I see this so frequently. You know, I've done interventions for a million years and have worked with thousands of families in that way. And the frequency in which I come across that thing where they're so worried about what other people will think and, well, we'd like for nobody to know if we don't have to. And I'm like, well, that's great, but are you going to sit back and protect your reputation over your kid's life? Like, is that the choice you're making? Because at some point you have to put that ego bullshit to the side. And just like for myself getting sober, right? It's like I had to put my own ego bullshit to the side to save my own damn life. It's like you have to figure out what's really important here, what people are going to say behind your back or what, how you're going to live your life and what you're going to do to be caring and supportive to yourself and your family. Like this is such a hard one for me because I've seen it so frequently and have watched people make decisions that are really harmful over all of that ridiculous, just ego bullshit. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And that was one of the really big toxic umbrellas that I was stuck under for a long time. And, you know, any of you guys listening, just so y'all know, when I got out from under that umbrella, the sun came out and started shining and everything got so much better and so much easier. Because when I started talking about these things, I found other people who experienced the exact same thing. I found other people who could relate to me. And when you can sit and talk with people who've been in your shoes, it is it is just another, another level of being able to feel relief and to find happiness and to just overcome those hurdles. Because like I said, you can't do this alone. You have to do it with other people. And if you're not talking about it, then you're not including other people. So you're just going to be stuck under that umbrella, unfortunately. Yeah. Miserable. 
What are some of what are some really common things about bipolar disorder that you would want everyone to know and understand? The first and foremost is that it's nothing to be scared of. We are not scary people. We are not ticking time bombs. We're not going to explode just because you said something or you walked in the room. We are normal, everyday people just like you, except I hate the word normal. I don't know why I just used it. <laughs> that just we just feel things on a higher level. And it's actually it's actually a really beautiful thing because I get to experience happiness way bigger and way better than other people do. I get to experience joy on a higher level than everybody else. If I walk into a room and I'm feeling happy, I can literally elevate everybody else up because of my own happiness. And I've seen it occur. And I usually do it on accident. Sometimes it's purposeful, but most of the time it's on accident. And that is one of the most beautiful parts of it, that there is beauty within bipolar disorder. And everybody unfortunately focuses on the negative. And that is what's harmful. And that's what continues to stigmatize this. Because if you put that aside, there are so many great things that come with it. And if you can learn to manage the negative and harness and grow the positive, then you can get yourself to a life that I have, which is beautiful and fun. And all of the things that I never thought could occur are starting to happen. So... It's the same with addiction, right? Like people get so weird about sobriety because they just don't know about it. Like it seems scary and it, and it is different than the norm, right? Like we are in a very drunken culture and a drunken society. So being sober feels like the odd man out, you know, like you're the different one, but yeah, people get so scared of it and then they want to stress about it. And I'm like, dude, I'm just a regular person. There's nothing weird. I mean, yeah, I'm weird. Like I have weird things for sure, but I'm no more weird than anybody else. And what I think too with bipolar is I always think about how many people are undiagnosed. You know what I mean? Same thing with addiction. Mm -hmm. So like people want to point fingers at you for having whatever random thing we have, right? We've all got something, but people want to point fingers at you. And I'm like, well, hold up. Like how many people are you not pointing fingers at just because they don't know, or they don't talk about it because of the ego stuff. They don't want anybody to know. Oh yeah. And you know, when I did become sober and stop, um, stop with alcohol and all of that, I lost a lot of friends because I was no longer drinking with them and that's all we would do. And we didn't realize that at the time, but when alcohol is out of the picture, they don't want to be around me anymore. But what, just like what you just said is that pointing the finger at me, they should really have been pointing the finger at themselves. Because when I look at these people, they didn't like that I didn't drink because it reminded them that they had a problem right. and that they didn't want to acknowledge their own problem. So it was easier just to not invite me to things. So they didn't have to think about their problem. Yeah, absolutely mm -hmm. true. Because those friendships, 
usually the majority of those friendships really are just drinking friendships. They're not true friendships. We spend a lot of time with those people and we love those people for sure. I loved my drinking friends, but those friendships were really about drinking. They weren't really about being friends, you know? And when my life shifted, they weren't reaching out to me to do non-drinking things right? Nobody was calling me going, Hey, let's go get breakfast. Let's go have coffee. Let's go to a movie. I wasn't getting those phone calls from my drinking friends because their priority was still drinking. And that's fantastic. But it definitely let me know that I needed to move on. You know? and, and it was exactly. okay to leave those friendships in my past because they really were a part of my past. Yeah, absolutely. That's the exact same thing I experienced. Yeah. What are some other sort of myths about bipolar? Oh, well, I really hate when people stigmatize it by saying things like the weather is bipolar. So when people say things like that, they're saying that, okay, with the weather shifting so much, you're saying that the weather is crazy. And then you're also saying that people with bipolar disorder are crazy. And sure, our moods sometimes will snap in an instant, but that's not all the time. It's usually during an episode, which most people have no idea about the episodes, that there's the lows, the highs, and then the balanced in between. When you're feeling balanced in between, the moods don't shift like that. That's usually only when you're feeling low or you're feeling really high. And so because of this lack of awareness and also this lack of like the lack of wanting to understand, because I think a lot of it is that too. People just don't want to understand. They just make assumptions that, oh, if you have bipolar disorder, you're going to go off the rails. You're going to do something crazy or be careful what you say around her. She could snap on you and freak out. It's always the negatives, always. And there's some things that I don't think people really understand, like the creativity level. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh, he was speculated to have bipolar disorder and he is one of the most famous artists of, you know, the 1800s, things like that. I'm a very creative individual and I, my brain works a little bit differently, but it works differently to an advantage that other people don't have. They don't see things the way I see them. They aren't able to create the way that I am. And that is something I always try to push and inspire in the minds of other people with bipolar disorder is to remember you have something up in there that's different, sure. But it's also different in a good way, just if you can learn to harness that and find what ignites you and what's what you're passionate about to take that creativity to the next level. Amen to that. And I would say too, I don't think the media helps with that situation uh, because the media only shows the big crazy events that happen and, oh, this person's bipolar disorder. And you're just sort of inundated with that, just like we talked about the drinking culture, right? Like you do, they only show the negative aspects of it. So that's, of course, what sticks in everybody's head when they think of it. Oh, absolutely. And it's so frustrating because it's kind of like when if an example is like Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. I don't know if you've... Okay, good. I see you shaking your head. Great. <laughs> so one of the things that she talks about is, you know, you can do... Like say she's written books and she has all of these amazing reviews on her books, but she'll see the one negative one and she'll focus on that one negative one. Even though she has 5,000 
five-star positive reviews, that one negative one sticks out. And unfortunately, that's just how our brains as humans work. It's easier to focus on the one negative than to see all of the positives. And so for people like me who are advocating for those with bipolar disorder, it's just, I feel like sometimes I'm screaming to a wall that is absorbing what I'm saying and not echoing it and bouncing it off to other people. Because I can keep talking about all of these positives, but because the media decides to find the negative and to really hone in on it and blow it up, it just causes so many issues down the road for all of us who don't fit that description. Yeah, for sure. Bailey, thank you again for coming on and for your bravery and being willing to be so open and out about your struggle and and your redemption, right? You're really triumphing over something that is so challenging. And those are the most beautiful stories. And I really appreciate you for sharing yours. Thank you for having me. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.